Thank you for listening to this message from Faith Builders. Pastors Philip and Michelle Still are dedicated to building your faith and framing your world by the Word of God. There are many more resources available on our website, www.buildfaith.net, where you can find links to our audio and video archives. We also invite you to join us online for our live stream services. Remember to build your faith and frame your world by the Word of God. Well, let's go to the book of Genesis chapter 1 tonight. And uh, we want to continue with this that we have been looking at, anointed for authority. And uh, we're just uh, uh, going at this the way the Holy Spirit's having us to, to go after it. And uh, we began in uh, the beginning of this series talking about what qualified us for authority, uh, different things that we needed to do to be qualified to use our authority. We've touched on uh, the, the fact of the importance of our words, the importance that our words play uh, in our authority. Our words are containers of authority. Uh, whatever we bind on the earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever we loose on the earth will be loosed in heaven. And uh, so there's, there's varying aspects of this. And when the Lord started dealing with me to teach on this, uh, I, uh, I could see very quickly that it wasn't going to be something that, that was just talking about the authority we had over the devil, although that's important, it's vital, uh, but different aspects of authority. Authority is directly tied to relationship and position. It's directly tied to relationship and position. In Genesis 1 and verse 26, we've read this uh, several times over this the course of this series, but Again, it says, God said, let us make man in our image and after our likeness. That word image and likeness, it's, it's a representative image. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, the fowl of the air, the cattle over all the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. So God created man in his image and the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. And God blessed them. And said, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth, subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, the fowl of the air, over every living thing that moveth up on the earth. So man was created, of course, as a representative image of God. Man represented God in the earth, all right? Uh, uh, He obviously was not God, but he was the image of God. He was the image of the authority in the earth. Man represented God on the earth. That was his position. All right? That was his position. That, that, was, that was the relationship that man had with God and the position that man was given by God. Now, in Genesis 3, uh, verse 8, now this is after the fall. It says, and they, Adam and Eve, heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. And the Lord called unto Adam and said unto him, where are you? And he said, I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. Now this illustrates the relationship that man had with God before the fall. And here's how. It says that 
they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the cool of the day and they hid themselves from the presence of the Lord. The indication is that they were expecting God and had not hidden themselves previously. All right? That's, that is the indication that we have from the way this is structured. So before the fall, they would have been expecting God and wanting to walk with Him in the cool of the day. All right? Because of their relationship with Him. All right? They had a position because of relationship. All right? You, to have a position outside of relationship, and that's doomed to failure. All right? Their relationship is that they walked and talked personally with God. That was their relationship with God. They walked and talked personally with Him. Now, in Luke chapter 3, and we're going to come back to Genesis, but Luke chapter 3, we see something concerning Adam. And uh, verse 38, and this uh, is uh, Luke's account of the genealogy of Christ. And he gets to verse 38 and he says, which was the son of Enos, which was the son of Seth, which was the son of Adam, which was the son of God. Adam was considered the son of God. All right, now not the son of God in the same sense as Jesus, but he was, God was his father. God had created him. He was God's son. And so when Adam gave away, what he gave away was more than a position or authority. It was a relationship with God the Father. All right? And what you have to understand is in, in, in these scriptures, we see that the relationship came before the position. The relationship was before the position. And so when the relationship was hindered, the position was changed because the relationship changed. Amen. After Adam's fall, God's relationship with man was changed. And, you know, it had to change because God doesn't associate with the disobedient. Over and over again, He tells you and I not to associate with the disobedient because you'll learn to be disobedient, all right? And, and, and you read the warning that He gave them in Genesis chapter 2 was you can eat of every tree of the garden except of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. In the day that you eat of that tree, you will surely die. The Hebrew is, in dying you will die. All right? So you will begin to die, you will die spiritually, and you'll start to die physically. And so the disobedience hindered the relationship. And the relationship affected the position. Now, his relationship with man changed because Adam effectively made God an outsider on the planet that he had created. Amen. 
And man would have to be reconciled to God. Man would have to be reconciled to God. This whole relationship did not break from the God side. God did not break the relationship with Adam. Adam broke the relationship with God. All right? God, 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 God was not looking for a way out of the relationship. Glory to God. Amen. The relationship did not have to be fixed from God's side. It had to be fixed from man's side. And in order for man to walk in the authority he once possessed, his relationship would have to be repaired. All right? His relationship would have to be repaired. Genesis 23. Now, we're not going to go deeply into this, but uh, in Genesis 23, we see something. Because, uh, verse 15, this is when Abraham had taken Isaac to Mount Moriah. And verse 15, And the angel of the Lord called unto Abraham out of heaven the second time. And said, By myself have I sworn, saith the Lord, for because you've done this thing and not withheld your son, your only son, that in blessing I will bless you and in multiply, and I will multiply your seed as the stars of the heaven and as the sand which is upon the seashore, and your seed shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. Now, God found a man in Abraham and he found a flesh and blood man that would believe him and enter into covenant with him. This, this is so vital. I'm, I'm, we're not going to spend a lot of time uh, on the, this aspect of it, but God had to find a man that would believe him, that would allow God to operate through him and through his seed. That's what was so important when God was telling Abraham, about to tell Abraham what was going to happen to Sodom and Gomorrah. He said, should I share with Abraham what's going to happen, seeing that he will command his children after him, all right, to serve the Lord God. So what he's saying is, should I tell him, because he's, he's, he's fully vested in this, all right. God had to find a man that would enter into covenant with him and allow him to move through his seed. The covenant that God made with Abraham, his relationship with Abraham, there, there's something to see about Abraham. Abraham didn't need a law to serve God. He served him because he loved him. There, there, if Study your Bible and find one other person that the Bible says was the friend of God. I mean, I'm not saying that other people were not friendly with God, but when the Bible emphasizes something like that once about one person, it's a powerful relationship. Abraham was God's friend. He didn't need a law to serve God. He served God because he loved God. That was what God was looking for. Abraham's faith was born out of his relationship with God. The, he could see that he could trust God. The relationship was solid. And it's easy to believe somebody that you're in a good, solid relationship with. 
Amen. The moment Adam's relationship, the moment Adam broke relationship with God, fear and shame and condemnation and guilt and fear all came into the picture. And those are the very things that the enemy still tries to use today to hinder your relationship with God because if he can get at your relationship, he can get at your position. Amen. And that's why the Bible tells us over and over again, there is no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. We, we, we have no fear of judgment. First uh, uh, John says that we have boldness in the day of judgment. Why? Because we're, we're in relationship with God. Amen. Hallelujah. And so, the covenant that God made with Abraham, his relationship with Abraham opened the door for God to begin to deal with mankind through a specific group of people, the Jewish people, all right? God, it opened the door for God to begin to deal in the earth through the seed of Abraham. Now, the seed God is speaking of was his seed over all, all right, the the Jewish people. Yet, one part of that seed specifically He's saying there will be one of your seed that will be a blessing to the entire world. All right? In Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1. And verse 1. Notice this. The book of the generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David... The son of Abraham. So important. All right? Uh, th- this, this does a couple things. It, it nails down the humanity of Jesus. Uh, he has human lineage. All right? Uh, the second thing it does is it debunks all of those thoughts today that, that, that Jesus uh, was a Palestinian. <laughs> he, he's the seed of Abraham, the son of Abraham, the son of of, of uh, David, so he's a Jew, all right? But the point is, is notice, then he's the son of Abraham. He is the son of David, the son of Abraham, and he's the one that the entire earth will be blessed through. But the ministry of Jesus centered around this concept of restoration and reconciliation. Is centered around that concept. Notice in Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19 and verse 10. Je- Jesus said this is uh, after he goes to Zacchaeus' house. And uh, Zacchaeus, of course, was a, a Hebrew, but he was a tax collector. And uh, so nobody liked him. <laughs> Amen. But Jesus went to have dinner with him. And, and notice what he said. He said, verse 9, This day is salvation come to this house, for as much as he also is the son of Abraham. For the son of man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Come to seek and to save that which was lost. So Jesus says right there in Zacchaeus' house, the, the thrust of my ministry, the crux of my ministry, is centered around restoration and reconciliation. The idea conveyed by this word, uh, seek and save the lost, is someone who's dying. 
Someone who's lost, someone who's perishing. All right? Now, why was mankind perishing? No relationship with God. No relationship with God, no victory. Hallelujah. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. He came to seek and save those who were dying without God. Those who by Adam's transgression were separated from the Father. In Matthew chapter 10. And verse 6. Notice what Jesus says. He, well, verse 5 gives us the complete context. He says, uh, These twelve Jesus sent forth and commanded them, saying, Go not in the way of the Gentiles, and into any city of the Samaritans do not enter, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Now, I'm glad that changed. But Jesus tells them, He says, Don't go to the Gentiles. Go to the lost sheep. Now notice the word. Go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. In uh, Matthew 15 and 24. It says when he was dealing with the woman, the Syrophoenician woman. And the disciples said, send her away. She cries after us. He said, but he answered and said, I'm not sent but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Now, Jesus did deal with some Gentiles. And we know he did. Specifically, he dealt with this woman, the Syrophoenician woman, and the Roman centurion. But notice the basis that he dealt with them on. He dealt with them on the basis of faith. He did not deal with them on the basis of covenant. They had no covenant with God. All right? God had to fulfill His covenant promise to His friend Abraham. Amen. And He sent the promised seed, Jesus, first of all, to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, to the lost seed of Abraham. For what purpose? To save them, to seek them, to save them. The lost sheep. Amen. Hallelujah. So he was sent to them first because they were the children of promise. They're still the children of promise. One thing that the church has to remember always and often is that we've been grafted in to that promise. The the Bible says in Romans 9, Romans 10, Romans 11, don't boast against the branch. Don't, Don't boast against them. And when when you hear people talking about, uh, you know, uh, uh, a lot of people call it replacement theology or whatever, the church has not replaced the the nation of Israel. We've not replaced the Jewish people. We've been grafted into that covenant. Now, different things have been done away with in the person of Jesus, but here's the point. They are the people of promise. They were, at the time of Jesus' earthly ministry, the covenant family. Hallelujah. But God had promised Abraham that in him, in his seed, the entire earth would be blessed. 
the entire earth. Genesis chapter 12, verse 3. You can see that. He said, I'll, make a, 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 I'll bless you and make your name great, and in you shall all nations of the earth be blessed. All right? Now, I'm trying to focus in on this point. What Adam lost first was his relationship. He broke the relationship. And when he broke the relationship, he lost the position. Jesus could not just come back into the earth and restore position. He had to restore relationship. He had to restore relationship between God and man before the position could be restored. Amen. You know, over the, over the years in pastoring, I've, I've done quite a bit of marital counseling. And uh, uh, I call it spiritual advice because I'm, I'm not a counselor. I'm not li- a licensed counselor. But nonetheless, uh, you know, I've, I've, I've had instances come in where the people were separated. You know, and, and they were living in different homes or whatever the case may be. And, you know, they're trying to work out the marriage. And, and one of them, one of, one of the two, the husband or the wife or whichever one, uh, they, they would want to just pick things back up and just pick up house again, just act like nothing happened. And I would have to explain to them, wait a minute, you've hurt the relationship. It's hard for her or hard for him. It's hard for her to submit to you as her husband because you hurt the relationship so bad. Or you, it's hard for him to love you as Christ loves the church because you have hurt the relationship so bad. Now, a lot of times people say, well, they ought to just put their differences aside and get over it. Well, you know, I know that's right. That, that'd be great. I mean, uh, you know, admit it, forget it, and move on. I mean, that would be great. But it doesn't happen that way. When a relationship is hurt, the position the relationship provided is hurt. And so Jesus had to fix the relationship. The authority that we have, notice what it is. It's the authority of the believer. It's contingent upon our relationship with God. Our relationship with Jesus Christ. Amen. Brother, Brother Hagin used to say this. People would talk about, you know, how a word wasn't working or, or whatever. And he would find out, you know, they were, they were living in a way they shouldn't and, and maybe, you know, living in a moral life. And he would tell them, he'd say, well, you can't expect to have the morals of a back alley cat and the word of God work for you. It's, it's not going to work. See, it's relationship. The problem with sin, my family, is that it hurts your relationship with God. It's not that God doesn't love people and can't forgive, but it hurts the relationship with God. And it hurts the relationship with God from your part, your side. Because it's just, it's just inbred in man and woman that when they sin, to go away from God. It's just, it's just in our natural makeup. Now your victory is quick and speedy when if you miss the mark, you immediately go to God and confess it and, and move forward, but the relationship is hurt. And so Jesus was in the earth fixing the relationship. All right? Oh, hallelujah. Look at uh, Isaiah 49. There, there are things, I was talking to uh, Pastor Michelle the other day, we were driving uh, 
around town doing some things, running some errands, and we were talking about things, and uh, we made the statement that these vital truths of redemption, they have to consistently be taught. You know, because most things are just a generation away from being lost. That's it, just a generation away from being lost. And uh, Isaiah 49 in verse 6, notice he said, Is it a light thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved of Israel? I will also give thee for a light to the Gentiles, that you may be my salvation unto the end of the earth. This verse found its fulfillment in Christ. That's, that's what the, the book of Matthew says concerning Jesus. He'll be a light to the Gentiles. Now, this is important because he was a light not only to Israel, he was a light to the Gentile as well. Because he said, in your, in your seed, all nations of the earth will be blessed. Now, in 1 Timothy 1, 1 Timothy 1 and verse 15. Oh, hallelujah. Notice this, verse 15. One of my favorite scriptures in the Bible. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Now notice that. Notice what Paul said. Jesus came into the world to save, rescue from judgment, sinners. All right? Now, the word sin, the word, the word uh, uh, sinners is a Greek word that basically by definition means to miss the mark. All right? So a sinner is someone that has missed the mark or is missing the mark. Jesus came to save, rescue from judgment. Why is there judgment? There's no relationship. The sinner has no relationship with God. They are not reconciled to God. You and I sitting here tonight, born again, in right relationship with God, have no fear of judgment. Because there is no judgment for us. Our judgment fell on Jesus. Thank God. And, and, and when we were in Christed, we, we received everything He did because He became everything we were. Jesus took the test and scored 100% and we get His grade. On earth, that's called cheating. In heaven, it's called grace. Amen. Hallelujah. But notice, He came to save from judgment. There's so much here. There's so much in these verses. So that tells us something. If God was, was judgment hungry and bloodthirsty like a lot of people say He is, why, why did He send Jesus? Why did He see, send Jesus to save us from judgment? I don't know where everybody in here was before you started living for God, but here's what I do know. The Bible says we were all worthy of death, that we had all gone astray, that ever how young you were when you got saved, you were still a sinner. Hell was still your destination. But Jesus, the spotless, perfect Son of God, came into the earth for one purpose, to save me from judgment. Hallelujah. Glory to God. 
See, isn't it interesting that it was man that broke his relationship with God, but God never stopped loving man. God never stopped working for a way to get man back into the love of God. God never stopped loving man. Man stepped outside the love of God. That's what the the whole, we're going to get into it in a minute. That's what the whole word reconciliation, especially in Paul's gospel means, is that God was working tirelessly to get man back into relationship with him. It It was God's doing. God gave. God sent His Son. The the Bible says that over and over again. God so loved the world, He gave. When the fullness of the time had come, God sent His Son into the earth, made of a woman, born under the law. God sent. God gave. God delivered. Amen. That's so powerful because God wanted the relationship fixed. Amen. Mm -mm Mm-mm-mm. There was nothing that could be done about man's position until his relationship was fixed. That's why the devil fights your relationship. Because he wants to neutralize your position. The devil is not the sharpest knife in the drawer. But he knows this much. That there's nothing he can do about you. To you. Over you. He can't defeat you. He knows that. Unless he gets you involved. You got to be involved in your own defeat. And and, and I'm I'm primarily talking about living victoriously just in life. All right? He's got to get you involved. You got to think the way he thinks. He's got to bring the thought and you got to take the thought and start believing it. That's what he did in the garden. Basically, he said this, and we've read it over and over again. Basically, he said to Eve, you know, if you really looked at that tree, it'll make you wise. You'll be like God if you eat that tree, and God knows that. Right? She started taking his thought, started looking at the tree the way he looked at it. Well, it's the same way today. The enemy will come and accuse you of something, and if you don't watch it, you'll you'll take his thought and start looking at yourself the way he's telling you you are instead of the way God says you are. And when you do that, you hurt your relationship and you neutralize your position. Oh, hallelujah. 2 Corinthians 5. Oh, glory. Second Corinthians 5. And uh, we'll start in verse 17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature, or let him be a new creature. Now, that's a literal rendering, but both of them can be correct. If any man's in Christ, you are, in the mind of God, you're a new creature, but you have to let it be. You have to act like it. You have to live like it. You have to talk like it. Amen. If any man be in Christ, let him be, or he is a new creature. Old things are passed away, and behold, all things are become new. Now, we're going to read more, but but think about that. Meditate on that for a moment. All things have become new. When it says he's a new creation, I was was blessed to see this several years ago, that uh, when you look at this in, in... 
for instance, if, if you have a, a Greek reader's New Testament or uh, uh, you have an interlear Greek that you can read, many of them will say a species of being that has never existed. It's important. <laughs> because that's how God fixed the relationship. He forgave our sin, but He made us new creatures. And He justified us. One rendering of the word justified is this, just as if I'd never sinned. Now we, we think about that, and you know, we, we know that happened, but then a lot of believers walk out of church and don't see themselves that way. God looks at you just as if you never sinned. Because why? He looks at you as a new creature, a species of being that never existed before. That's why the Bible says when you were saved, you were born again. Now, wait a minute. This, this is important. And, and, and it can be not hard to, to explain, but it can be like, well, yeah. When you were born in the earth, had you ever been in the earth before? The answer is no. Well, you were born again. So that means the you that was born again had never been here before. The new you took up residence in a body that had been here before, but you had never been here before. You were brand new. See, that you are not a fixed up version of what you were. Hmm. We, sometimes we, we say this wrong. Well, the Lord came and took my sin away. No, He didn't. No, He didn't. He forgave you of the sin you had committed and made you a brand new creature. You, you see what I'm saying? Because the relationship had to be fixed. Now, verse uh, 18. Remember, old things are passed away. Old things, old things are passed away. And notice, and all things, it says old things are passed away, all things are become new, and all things are of, preposition of, out of, derived from, from a source. All the things you are now are out of God as a source. Amen. You know, people were reading the book of Genesis where it says, and God formed man from the dust of the ground, and God breathed into man's nostrils uh, uh, the breath of life, and man became a living soul. And you'll hear people go, oh, wasn't that great? Same thing that happened to you when you got born again. It's the same thing that happened to you when you got born again. Because the, the, the life of God came into you. You were not filled with the Holy Spirit at salvation with the evidence of speaking in other tongues. But the Holy Spirit, the life, the energy, the life source of God came into you when you were born again. And it was just like when you got born again, God breathed into your nostrils the breath of life. Before you got saved, you were dead. You were alive in the flesh, but you were dead. When you were born again, you were not only alive in the flesh, you were alive unto God. 
Now you're alive unto God. When Adam sinned in the garden and gave away his, his relationship, he died spiritually. He was no longer alive unto God. He was walking alive as a man, but he was not alive unto God. And there was no man or woman alive unto God until Jesus died on the cross and rose from the grave. But when he rose from the grave, he said, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit back and you are all going to then be alive unto God. Glory to God. That's why the Bible says that, and we're going to read it in a little while. He said, He quickened us together with Christ. He brought us to life. He brought life into us. Oh, glory. And he says, all things are of God. Now here's this word. Who has reconciled us to Himself by Jesus Christ. And has committed unto us, the church, the word of reconciliation. So, so notice what it says. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us. We pray you, in Christ's stead, be reconciled to God. Paul uses that word three times in these verses. Be reconciled. Reconciliation. It's, it's used very strong in Paul's writings. This word reconciliation. Be reconciled to God. And, and, and notice how it uses this. All things are of God who hath reconciled us to himself. God took the action to reconcile us to himself by Jesus Christ. So God didn't look at man and go, good enough for you. He immediately... Immediately, the day, the day of the fall, he already had the plan in motion. It was in, plan, it was in motion before the fall. But God declared it, the day of the fall, that the seed of the woman is going to crush your head. You'll bruise his heel. You'll put him, you'll put him to the test. But the seed of the woman is going to do this. Amen. Already, reconciliation was working. Oh, hallelujah. And then he says, mm, as given to us, the church, the ministry of reconciliation, to wit or to this end, that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. Well, what does that mean? The whole, we know the whole world's not saved, but there's nothing stopping them from getting saved. Because the whole world has been reconciled to God. There's peace between God and every man in the planet. Every man's not saved. Every man's not going to be saved. But as far as God's part, there's peace between Him and every man in the planet. Because why? The Bible says Jesus broke down the middle wall of partition. He tore it down. Right? There's nothing between man and God. Oh, hallelujah. And uh, then it says, verse 20, we're ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us. We pray you in Christ's stead, be reconciled to God. Be reconciled to God. Let the relationship be restored. So God reconciled us to Him by Christ. God was in Christ, reconciling the world to Himself. Man had to be reconciled to God because it was man that had given away his relationship. 
and his position and his authority. Oh, hallelujah. The work of Christ above all else was a work of reconciliation. Above everything else, it was a work of reconciliation. And through Christ, the relationship between God and man was restored. See, you got to understand something. It may sound a bit off, but it's not. The cross did not change God. It changed man. It didn't change God. It changed man. And that's, and that's why anyone that looks at the cross and, and sees the gift and sees the sacrifice and, and sees the love will want to be reconciled to God. God didn't need to be changed. God was never angry. Now people will say, you know, well, the Bible says that God is angry at the sinner every day. And people say, what, what, why, why, would God, why would the Bible say God's angry if God's never been angry? God, doesn't, God is angry because the sinner's destroying their life. You, you, you can't say God was always angry when He said, I will no more be wroth with you nor rebuke you. God doesn't change. So... Hallelujah. Man was created for a relationship with God. And man was created to walk in authority and dominion with that relationship as the guiding principle. And by his disobedience, he first lost his relationship and then his position. Jesus came to fix the relationship and restore the position. In Ephesians 3. Ephesians 3, 8. It says, Paul is uh, writing to the church at Ephesus. He said, Unto me, whom less than the least of all saints... Is this grace given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ? And to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the world hath been hid in God, who created all things by Jesus Christ. To this intent, or the purpose of this, that now unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church or through the church the manifold wisdom of God according to the eternal purpose which He purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord in whom we have noticed boldness and access with confidence by the faith of Him. So He's saying the purpose of this is to unveil before every throne Every rank of angelic orders in the heavenly realm, God's God's wisdom revealed through the church. The wisdom of God revealed through the church. All right? This plan was destined and fulfilled in Jesus. And he says, so now we have boldness through Christ And free access, here's something, as kings before the Father. 
Why? Because of our confidence in Christ's faithfulness. Because I'm confident in His faithfulness. Hallelujah. Boldness and free access. Why? Because I've been reconciled. I have boldness and free access because I've been reconciled. In Ephesians 1 and verse 20. This is talking about the exceeding greatness of His power. There's so much I had to pare it down. Talking about that power that He wrought in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and set Him at His own right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named not only in this world but also in that which is to come. And has put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. Now, notice where Christ is seated. In heavenly places at the right hand of the Father. He's seated in heavenly places at the Father's own right hand. Hallelujah. That's important because the right hand is, is the side of dominion and power. It's the side of authority. But notice where he's seated. At the right hand of the Father in heavenly places, far above all principality, all power, all might, all dominion. Hallelujah. And every name that is named. Now don't, don't take that lightly. Because he is our forerunner. He is he is our reconciler and he reconciled us for a reason yes to save us to save us from hell to save us from our sin but to restore something position had to be restored if he reconciled man unto God and he did he came to do that for a reason so man's position could be restored God did not want his man living below the position that He first intended Him to live in. Jesus did not come to give us a, a, a 30% of what Adam lost or gave away. So important. He, ca- he came back to give it all back. And, and what has happened so much in the church is that we ascribe all power and all might and all dominion, and all authority to Jesus, and we don't understand that through the reconciliation of Christ, from us being reconciled to God, that God ascribed to man all power, all might, all dominion, over every principality, every power, every devil, every demon, every name that's named. It was given back to man. Man walked right back into it. Because because that's the importance of knowing there's a man in the Godhead. A man is in the Godhead and men and women sit with him. Hallelujah. See, that's so important. And, And Lord, help me say this right. You're seated with him. You're on the earth, but you're seated with him. 
There, there are people in heaven tonight that are in heaven tonight because they were seated with Him on the earth. You're, seated, you're on the earth, but you're seated with Him because you're on the earth. Does that make sense? Because then that's where your authority and, and dominion and right to operate it comes from is the fact that I'm a human being on the earth. That there are no enemies to vanquish in heaven. There are no devils to run off. There's nothing to take authority over in heaven. Hallelujah. In, in, heaven, in, in, in heaven, everybody in heaven's the ruling class. Well, we're the ruling class on the earth, but we've got, we've got to know it and we've got to operate in it. Oh, hallelujah. In uh, Ephesians uh, chapter 2, verse 5, this will be my last scripture, I think. And uh, he's, well, let's start in verse 4. But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, has quickened us together with Christ. By grace you're saved, or by whose grace you're saved. Now, this is so important. Quickened us together with Christ. You know, there, there are people that will, that will quote Galatians chapter 2 where it says, uh, uh, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live, I live through the faith of the Son of God that died and gave himself for me. Well, that's true. And people will talk about, yes, I'm crucified with Christ. Well, the Bible says you were crucified with Christ, you were buried with Christ, and here it says you were raised with Christ. I didn't just die with him. I wasn't just buried with him. I was quickened together with him. And that word quickened is to bring to life. And he says, quickened us together with Christ. And notice, and raised us up together. Raised us up together. And made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So notice where the church and the individual believer is seated. Together with Christ. Together with Christ. What does that mean? Relationship restored. Relationship restored. Position restored. We're seated at the right hand of the Father. Now the enemy fights that. The enemy fights, you, fights people with, with different things. If, if, if he can't get you with guilt and shame and condemnation, he'll get you with religion. Over the years of, of, of ministry, uh, and, and for the last almost 30 years, we haven't ministered anything but the word of faith, and won't ever minister anything but the word of faith. But here's the point. I can't tell you I've, how many times I've heard this. Who do you think you are? You, you understand? When... when when people that, that are taught that they're nothing, you just, ought, you just ought to be grateful God didn't strike you dead. Or something like that. I, I heard that one time. A lady told me in the church. I was, I was just, uh, uh, I was, I was, I'm still a young man. I was a younger man then. But, amen. Anyway, uh, uh, she told me one time. She said, listen to me, if God's got to wrap you around a telephone pole, 
get you to do His will. That's what He'll do. He'd rather you serve Him from a wheelchair. And you know, that just made me want to run after the plan of God. I just, I, I was just all for it. Right? Well, the whole mindset was, you know, God will knock you in the head. God will break your leg. I may have told you this before, but my dad was in town for a meeting one time, and he was walking down the street with the pastor, and the pastor saw a guy over there with an artificial limb, artificial leg. And he said, see that guy? He said, yeah. He said, uh, he's got an artificial leg. He said, yeah. He said, you know why? He said, why? He said, because he talked about me. God got him. Well, God's not getting anybody. Right? The, the, if, if people could see this and understand this, that every person that goes into eternity without Christ, God grieves. It, it, it hurts his father heart. You, you understand? The, the, the Bible says that God gets no pleasure in the death of the wicked. None. He, he doesn't get pleasure in it. How do I know that? Because he said, he said it's precious. The, the death of the righteous is precious in his sight. That word means costly. In, in other words, it, 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 it touched God. It cost God in his heart for a righteous person to die. But God is love. And love does not get any good feelings out of someone going out of this earth without God. Amen. So if, pe- if people could see, and religion, and religion does that, and, they, and it keeps people keeping God not only at arm's length, it keeps people way outside on the boundary. Because God, I, I sinned, or I, I made a mistake, and, 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 and God might be angry at me. The Bible says all of His wrath, all of His indignation, all of His judgment was poured out on Jesus. It was so poured out on Jesus that they could not even recognize him as a man. And that's why they said he was stricken, stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. Well, he was. That's what happened. God poured out all of his indignation and wrath on Jesus. Why? So we could be reconciled to God. Hallelujah. Glory to God. So we are seated at the right hand of the Father. Far above all principality. And power and might and dominion and every name that is named. Amen. Uh, if, if you'll give me two minutes, I'll finish up with this. That's, that's, that's why you've got to be careful talking about uh, the devil in terms of power. Because, because there are people that will talk about, the, you know, well, the devil does have power. The devil has power over those that are not aware of the authority they possess. The Bible says the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. Just won't. It won't happen. I was here listening to somebody preach the other day, and I'm not being critical, but they were quoting that out of one side of their mouth and then talking about all the mess the devil was making out of the other side. It's, it's, it, you, can't, you can't have it both ways. The relationship was restored. Reconciliation has been completed and the position has been restored. And so you are seated right now together with Christ in the heavenly places at the right hand of the Father. And, and I didn't take the time to get into all the verses about boldness and boldly. You know, the book of Hebrews says, because of this, because we have a man who is our high priest, 
and our intercessor, what's it say? It says, let us boldly come. <laughs> Woo, glory to God. Let us boldly come. Boldly come. Uh, uh, what in, in, in the Greek, it renders it this way. Let us come in that boldness. What boldness? The boldness of the knowledge that our elder brother, uh, the man, Jesus Christ, is at the right hand of the Father. Daily, weekly, minute by minute, interceding for you and I. Amen. It's so important because the scripture says he is, he, he is, we don't have a high priest that cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but he was in all points tempted like as are we. He was tempted like every man that walks on this planet, yet without sin. And then it tells us in light of that, because we have a high priest who can be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, that should make us bold, that should make us know our position, and we come in that boldness. And where do we come? We don't come to the outer court. We don't come to the fringes. We're not lobbing prayers over the gate. It says, let us come bold into the throne of grace well what's the throne of grace God's throne amen God told Moses I don't have time to get into this but God told Moses he said he said you make the ark and he said you overlay it with wood and he said then you make the lid and he said that will be the mercy seat and he said the cherubims are there and he said that's the mercy seat and he said, when I come down into the tabernacle to commune with you, I will commune with you from the mercy seat. Even, even, even under the law, God was talking to people from mercy. That was God's throne in the tabernacle. Well, the Bible says that that same picture, that where Moses got that picture, God said, you, you make it the way I showed you in the mount. Moses went to heaven and saw it. God's throne is the mercy seat. And it says you can enter in and you don't go to the throne of judgment. You don't go to the throne of, of, of pay your dues. You go to the throne of grace. <laughs> Woo! And it said, what do you receive? You receive grace to help you. To help you. To help you. Not to judge you. Not to beat you up. Not to tell you how bad you were. To help you in your time of need. Not just anybody can do that. You got to have a relationship that gives you the position and the standing to boldly come into your father's throne room and receive the help you need when you need it. Glory to God. Hallelujah.